With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Digging Deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, DD Denslow, on a Sunday episode of Digging Deeper. I'm here for the next hour, and I have got Godfrey Bloom, Godders himself. Uh, and I, I was just had a quick chat, and I, I was just saying to him, "Oh, I watched some of your videos uh, this morning, Godfrey." Uh, and I have to say that Godfrey was definitely uh, one of the badasses from the UK in EU Parliament. Gave some rip roaring speeches on the taxes that we have to pay uh, and the unfair nature or the elite nature of some of the people who take part in our parliamentary uh, uh, activities, the people who are dem- democratically event- uh, elected into the EU. Uh, and I've got a story here that Goffrey may actually be interested in. Uh, I'm sure he's a big fan of Sadiq Khan. Aren't we all uh, the British most famous uh, uh, Muslim mayor of London? And I thought I would just uh, repeat something that Orwell once said, every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which, ooh, I just missed the end of it, in which the party is always right. And this is referring, of course, to Sadiq Khan's uh, plans, or in fact, he's implemented these plans to rename the overground tracks in London. And here are some of the very sort of British historical names that have been used to rename some of these train tracks. The Weaver Line, the Windrush Line, of course, uh, Mid-May Line, the Suffragette Line. Imagine being on the train and going, well, where are you getting off? Suffragette Station. Bit weird. Uh, Lioness Line, the Liberty Line. And then I refer back to the statement I just made uh, with regards to George Orwell. And it's something that I see here in my own city with the name of Sir John Hawkins Square once again in the local news. Uh, it is a name that has been removed from that square. Uh, they're on about saying, you know, they've got a variety of different names. In fact, one is after a local DJ who died. They wanted to re- rename it after him. But I think the favourite is Justice Square. And John Sir John Hawkins is just one of many street names, one of many statues that have been dragged down and taken away over the last four or five years and a bit longer as the history of Great Britain uh, is removed from our streets, from our culture, and even potentially being rewritten and removed from our history books. So I am going to just now introduce Godfrey. Uh, Godfrey is uh, an ex-MEP. He is an author. He is also a military expert and specialist. So we will be talking about some of the topics relating to war and the wars that the UK are involved in. Uh, Godfrey, I hope you can hear me all right. Uh, Welcome to my show, Digging Deeper. Uh, It's been fantastic for you to come on. Uh, Maybe you could just introduce yourself uh, and let the audience know who you are and what you are about, my friend. Sure. Um, well, firstly, thank you for inviting me onto your channel. 
Okay, I'm just going to just interrupt there, Godfrey. I think we are having some issues uh, with the sound. Uh, I'm not able to, to hear you at the moment. Uh, I don't know. I think Studio are, are probably uh, working on that. Um, I don't know uh, what we should do here. Uh, I'm just going to remind all the audiences uh, very quickly that uh, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court in London to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. Uh, TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice this week 20th of February, 21st of February, broadcasting and covering uh, the entire two days. Uh, that will be here on TNT. We've actually adjusted our schedule. Uh, and then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London uh, during that period. TNT, of course, lighting the fuse for freedom. We are some of the biggest supporters of Julian Assange here, biggest supporters of free speech here on today's News Talk TNT Radio. TNT's Chris Smith is a time for Joe to go. Now, we've asked this on a number of occasions over the past couple of years. As a matter of fact, we were asking it before the last election. However, Friday's special prosecutor's comments from that report on the president's memory lapses, including the fact that he didn't know when he became VP or even ended being VP, moving into being president, inspired a burst of, well, age and mental related commentary. I think that's a polite way to put it. They jumped on him. And it puts a big red fat circle around what I've been telling you is the paramount dilemma facing voters for this election in November. How can we possibly put such a lame duck elderly man back into the White House for four more years? I would have thought nine months is far too long. And that's what he's got to go. Chris Smith on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, Didi Denslow. This is take two uh, with Godfrey Bloom. Uh, hi, Godfrey. Uh, hopefully that we can uh, we can hear you a bit better now. Um, I did ask uh, before we went to the break if you could just introduce yourself. Maybe we could just start again. If you could just introduce yourself to the audience very briefly, and then we'll kick off our conversation. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, so I spent... Um I spent 40 years in the city uh, as an investment manager, uh, and uh, I'm a military historian. 
Uh, and I spent a bit of time in the army, in Fourth Armoured Division uh, in Germany, in NATO. Uh, and so I've got a few things to my bow. I also spent 10 years uh, in the European Parliament on the uh, uh, Economic Amongst Affairs Committee. Uh, so I've actually served in a fairly of the beat. Okay. Uh, and you were a, a member of e EU Parliament. Uh, you gave some rip-roaring speeches. You upset the mainstream media. I'm not going to go into that too much, uh, but I, I, I was very, very, very proud of you. I never met you before, Godders, but I was like that. Good effort and there is one question you know there is some you you worked as an investment manager you worked in finance um can you sort of give a brief sort of description or overlay of the state of the western economies today uh, our finances why our national debt is so high and the ultimate question that i'm sure is on the lips of many many people when they hear like the us has got 34 trillions worth of debt is who is all that money owed to? Uh, well, uh, the uh, way things work at the moment, and have done now for probably 50 or 60 years, uh, is what is called a Keynesian economy, which basically, and it's sometimes referred to as modern monetary theory. The long and short of that means it's set up and back. Please stay right with us here on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Sometimes... A car comes along that changes everything. With innovations never thought possible and features that make you wonder, how did people survive without this? This is that time and this is that car. This is the world's first VWB. Equipped with transparent doors to eliminate reasonable suspicion, whatever that means. A 10 and 2 steering wheel that keeps hands visible at all times. We remove the glove box so there's no confusion about what the driver is reaching for. With a touch of a button, 
the ultrasonic biometric scanner displays the license and registration of the driver to ensure contactless exchange of information. With no trunk, nothing can be concealed, so therefore, there is nothing to search and seize. To ensure you will never be mistaken for breaking the speed limit, we've installed limited edition airless tires. And we remove the engine because, honestly, why risk it? DWB, the first vehicle of its kind, where the safety feature is the car itself. Denslow is digging deeper on today's news talk TNT radio. Welcome back to TNT radio. You're here with me, DD Denzel on a Sunday episode of digging deeper. In fact, this is take three, uh, with Godfrey. Uh, we have got him on the phone line, uh, and you were just explaining, um, where all this debt comes from the state of Western economies and who do we owe all this money to? So uh, I'm going to chuck that question back over to, uh, Godfrey, please. Okay, um, uh, Western Europe uh, and North America fund their uh, economies by borrowing money. Uh, and of course, their government spending is so high that you can't fund it through um, taxation. You uh -huh. can't tax people uh, enough uh, to be able to pay for uh, the things that modern governments in the West seem to want. An example for North America is a trillion pound a year um, uh, military budget. Uh, a trillion. Uh, I mean, that's sort of huge. And in order to fund that, uh, they have to borrow money. Uh, so they borrow money by issuing something called T-bills. Uh, they're sovereign bonds. And people buy them. They give a yield of whatever it is, 2 or 3% or 4%, and it's 5% at the moment. People buy them. Uh, and that's how they fund their debt. It's the same in the United Kingdom. It's gilts. Uh, they're called gilts, uh, and the government borrows, uh, you know, maybe they give a coupon of 3 or 4%. And so consequently, uh, that's how it works. Uh, and so to whom is the money owed? Who is the money owed to? Uh, it's the people who bought the debt. It could be foreign countries. It could be life assurance companies. Uh, it could be pension funds, uh, and so on and so forth. So who is the debt owed to? It's actually owed to your fund, your life assurance company, uh, your country, or, or, or various other things, which depend on the yield uh, in order to, um, uh, for governments to spend their money. Uh, and so that's to whom uh, the debt is, uh, is, is owed. Okay. And uh, I mean, I've got some figures here, Godfrey, of the sort of levels of debt in the UK. Uh, I've got a figure here that suggests that the UK is approaching uh, a national debt of three trillion. Uh, it's increasing at the rate of about £5,000 every single second. Uh, and quite famously, uh, the US uh, now has uh, a total debt of in excess of 34 trillion uh, and is approaching about 120 percent of the us gdp how perilous 
our Western economies. We're just focused on the UK and the USA. You know, how sustainable is what we are doing in terms of increasing debt, increasing borrowing, and increasing of the amount that we are spending? Uh, is this something that's sustainable into the future? Uh, no, it's not sustainable. Uh, you can't have ever-increasing debt uh, with, uh, with countries with no intention of paying the money back. Uh, uh, so consequently, there's only you either do two things. You either default uh, or you inflate the currency. And if you can't get your debt away, you have to print money, which they call quantitative easing, which, of course, is basically counterfeiting money. Uh, and this is how they work, and it works through the banking system, central banks and retail banks. They will produce this money. Uh, uh, they turn the handle and produce this money. And the only outcome of that can be inflation because monetary inflation, you print more money, uh, you find that your currency is degraded and the cost of everything that you buy uh, goes up. And of course, everybody listening to your channel today, Dan, will know that prices are getting more expensive every day. And it's because your currency is being degraded. For example, uh, just a couple of days ago, we needed to replace a door, an outer door uh, on one of our cottages. It cost a thousand pounds for one door. Uh, this is the kind of nonsense that we're dealing with. And I've lived this through this in the past, in 1973 and 1974, where inflation was running at 15 and 16 percent. And that's what happened when you degrade the currency. And we're going there again. Uh, and suddenly, of course, people will find that interest rates go up to cover the position. They can't afford to pay their mortgage. They can't afford the payments on the car, so on and so forth, or whatever it is. Uh, and, of course, the uh, economy spirals into depression or recession and then mm -hmm. depression. So debt um, is extremely important. And, and, and it's, the only way you can tackle it is by cutting government spending. But you will never, ever hear either the Republicans or the Democrats in North America or the Labour or the Conservative Party in this country ever talk about cutting public spending. It's more, more, more. It's more and more. And, of course, uh, just recently, we've sent three or four billion to the Ukraine in a, you know, in a war which can't conceivably be won. While we've got our potholes, galloping inflation, so on and so forth. And, of course, a lot of the money that goes is going into index-linked pensions. You mentioned, I don't dispute it, three trillion. You'll find nearly a trillion of that is the liability, would you believe, for public sector index-linked pensions, which is out and totally and utterly out of control. Uh, uh, in fact, on the UK that uh, I said it was, you know, it's actually uh, the figure I've got is two point nine six one trillion. You know, that three trillion I suggested that just included a rounding error. But actually, the real UK debt may be as high uh, as double that, um, and it's being hidden through various other uh, schemes uh, and accountancies. Um, what what will happen? If the, the, the world economies, the Western economies say we can no longer service this debt, we're not going to pay it. We're just going to allow the system to collapse. What would happen? Or could they alternatively just say, do you know what? We'll just keep printing money indefinitely uh, and just keep trying to paper over the cracks. Are either of those um, are possibilities of, way, of ways that the government could get out of this situation? Well, you make a very interesting question there, uh, Dan. The point is, we've only ever seen this before in single countries. 
Uh, we haven't seen it on a global scale or certainly a Western scale. So if you go back to Germany, uh, the Weimar Republic in the, in the 1920s, for example, they just printed money and printed and printed and printed because the whole system had collapsed. Um, and that was the Weimar Republic. Uh, but, uh, of course, the French uh, franc was sound. Sterling was reasonably sound. The Yankee dollar was reasonably sound. But we are now living in a situation where the whole of the Western world has been living on debt now for nearly two generations, and we have therefore not experienced anything like this. We have not experienced anything like this. What it does mean, of course, is that uh, your money, your pound notes, if you're living in this country, will become worthless. They will revert to nothing, pieces of paper, uh, just pieces of paper. So... Uh, the only way you can save yourself and your family is by assets which aren't linked to either the banking system or paper money. They're, they're the only things that you can do uh, if you want to save your family. And in fact, in the Weimar Republic and the collapse also in the 1920s of the Austrian economy, uh, you, you found that people were having to actually get rid of uh, masterpieces, paintings and, uh, uh, and antique furniture in order just for a side of beef. Uh, you know, you're going to mm -hmm. go back to actually feeding yourself. Uh, and so we are, we are in for very dark times, I'm afraid. Um, and nobody quite knows how it's going to pan out because this has never happened before on a global scale. So we don't know. The people who, mm -hmm. the people who will actually be able to save themselves probably are those people uh, who can grow their own food, small holdings, so on and so forth, so they can feed themselves. Uh, and people who are holding uh, a savings of gold coins, for example, because uh, there is no history at all, perspective, of you not being able to buy things with real gold coins in times of trouble. And you can go back nearly 5,000 years on this one. So uh, uh, you, can, you can protect yourself. Yeah, uh, I mean, gold and silver is something that I advocate. I have a small stock of gold and silver coins and bars. In fact, I have a one kilo silver bar stopping my uh, camera from moving. I'm using it as a, as like a giant paperweight here. Uh, so uh, do you think that that's probably the best bet then for people uh, to maybe hedge against the future is to make sure they've got a good stock of food to make sure that they're able to uh, sustain food and produce food themselves by growing it in their gardens and precious metals do you think that's the best hedge then against a future economic collapse i think that's the way forward and if you're if you're going to the supermarket once a week say for example to do your big shop just chuck a, chuck a lot of corned beef tins and sardine tins into your weekly shop and build them up you know uh, under the stairs or in the garage so you have a reserve supply of unperishable food uh, you might have a generator if you have a freezer um, to, in order to keep your freezer operational uh, and fill your house with cali gas and all the bits and pieces and candles so that uh -huh. you can with you can withstand these things the best thing really at the moment for englishmen is uh gold coins because there's no vat uh, and there's no capital gains tax because they're coin of the realm. The trouble with silver yeah. is, which is at a very cheap price at the moment, if you 20%. take delivery of silver coins, you have to pay 20% VAT, and they're also running at a premium. So it costs you £30 to buy a, a, a silver Britannia, uh, and its bullion value, silver bullion value, is only, 20%, uh, is only £20. That's a problem yeah. with silver. I like silver, but at the moment it isn't practical. You're better off with sovereigns.
Uh, and this tax that they add on silver, this, I'm asking really for my own personal information as somebody who's invested a small amount of money in silver. Uh, is that because silver is massively undervalued? And actually, in the case of an economic crash, it is the precious metal that's going to increase in value the most? Uh, well, certainly the the um, difference between, the, the normally is the ratio between gold and silver bullion. And at the moment, it's gone up to about, uh, so it's gone about to our 80 or 90 and normally it would only be 60 so there's much there's so much room for silver to go up mm -hmm. um but it's more speculative because it's also an industrial metal um so uh, my advice would be silver's good if you can get it at spot price but you can't well it's very difficult um your best thing is coins and there's only a small premium on on sovereigns you see, there's only a small premium, um, so you'll get you'll get spot price uh, for buying, uh, and probably you get spot price for selling, or uh, you'll get spot price rather plus two or three percent for buying, and you can get spot price for selling if you go to the right place. I, I mean, I found uh, I, I sold all my gold and silver. I've restocked since, but during the pandemic, that's what kept me going was gold and silver, and I actually found that uh, you know. Cash converters and wants and secondhand shops gave very, very good prices to me uh, for gold. Uh, another thing that the UK uh, and the US, and, and we're hearing it from other European nations, uh, as a way of, of dealing with the economic crisis that we are in at the moment, is war. Do you, what is your opinion of the conflicts in particular with, between Russia and Ukraine, which the West are massively involved in, and of the one in Middle East? Just a sort of general opinion from Godfrey on what you think those uh, think about those particular conflicts. Well, one of the great problems that we have uh, is that the the drivers of warfare are in Washington, the neocons in Washington, because it's all about money. Most wars are about money, if you dig down. Uh, and, of course, America is a military-industrial complex-driven, uh, which Eisenhower warned about in 1960. Uh, America is all about arms manufacture and warfare. Uh, and this is the problem that you have. Ordinary people don't want war. Uh, nobody wants a war. I don't want a war. You don't want a war. Ordinary people never want a war. But we get a relentless propaganda about who the next enemy is. It doesn't matter. So at the moment, it happens to be Russia, which, of course, is absurd. Um, uh, uh -huh. The neocons started this war in the Ukraine quite deliberately. And, of course, the billions of dollars that the Americans send to the Ukraine come straight back to the United States into the pockets of the industrial military complex and Congress, of course, who have been bought. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Ukraine Ukraine, or whether it's the Middle East, or whether it's Iraq. Uh, it doesn't matter where it is. This is about money uh, and the elite who are safe in their bunkers in Washington or London uh, manipulating the situation. And I do not like it. I don't like it. And I don't like the fact that the German economy is in decline at the moment. And they are now putting... Uh, millions and millions of euros into arms manufacture in Germany. Arms manufacture is no good. No good ever comes of war. No good hardly ever comes of warfare. Nobody really wins. Uh, so what we really need is peace, negotiation. And of course, nobody's really offering that. The, the, well, this is the problem in the Ukraine. And it's only just come out. Um, you and I knew about this at the very beginning. But when you listen to the BBC or CNN or CNBC, um, you, most people didn't know that there was a peace officer, uh, offer on the table in 
April of 2002, uh, signed by Zelensky, signed by the Russians. Uh, it was a good deal for everybody. Uh, it was signed. And of course, Boris Johnson went out there to scupper the deal. So we are now 300,000 young Ukrainian dead later. Uh, Boris, of course, is a war criminal. Uh, and we had this piece, we could have had this piece just a little while ago, just, just 18 months ago. Uh, and it's been rejected. And still, the neocons in Washington won't come to the table. Still, they're supporting Israel with bombs, cluster bombs and missiles to dump on women and children in Gaza. Uh, you know, that we've lost any form of moral dynamic now in the West. We, we used to think we had the, we were the superior beings in the West over the Soviet Union and communism and things. We have lost that now. We are no better than anybody else and rather worse. It actually really breaks my heart, Godfrey, because I always believed in British was good to be, you know, cricket. It was that was good cricket. We're being English uh, and and we were the good guys. Uh, and now it's quite clear and quite apparent. You mentioned Boris Johnson being a war criminal and squashing uh, a peace deal that had been signed by Russia and Ukraine back in 2020. Putin has actually reiterated his desire to negotiate with the West uh, and come to peaceful terms over Ukraine, which has been out of the hand, out of hand, rejected immediately in the last few days. Is that because our economies in the West have been so badly crushed because of the COVID era? Uh, and I, I don't want to talk about COVID. I've just done an hour on that. But could it be that the, the, the you know the governments of the UK and the USA are like, how can we get out of this economic mess? How can we keep the system going a bit longer and squeeze as much profit as possible out of it? I know we will instigate go instigate wars in Europe, in the Middle East, maybe even in China in the very near future. And as a result, generate a war economy, which will be very, very profitable and keep everything afloat. It's almost reminiscent of the 30s. Uh, would I be correct in saying that? Uh, yes, I think uh, what they want is to be able to take the uh, focus away from the way uh, that the economies of the West have been mismanaged. And when they do default, they have to invent an em enemy to take everybody's view uh, out of the situation. But of course, it isn't as simple as that. Firstly, we now have uh, 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 the BRICS countries, uh, which are extremely uh, now sophisticated, well-armed and rich without any debt or without very little debt. I mean, uh, Russian debt's only 20% uh, of GDP. So consequently, these countries which haven't burdened themselves with debt are doing really quite well. Uh, so things aren't as simple as they used to be. And of course, our army now is down to about 50 or 60,000. And we've got people like Tobias Elwood, who I think is mentally ill, talking about having a war with Russia we can only put, and I tell you this as a professional, a retired professional soldier, we can only put three, uh, uh, three brigades in the field, uh, army brigades, logistically properly supported, three. Well, the Russians have got something like 200. You know, what are they talking about fighting with Russia? It's ludicrous. I used to do a little bit of boxing in the army. It's like me, me getting my gloves out of the attic and going and fighting Mike Tyson. It's not going to bloody happen, is it? It's ludicrous. But of course, we seem to be in a total... We've lost a free press. We've lost a free press. Uh, the BBC, Sky, CNBC, CNN and all the rest of it are now all owned by Deep State. 
they're all owned by the same people, so you can't have the truth. You won't get the truth on the BBC. You know, you and, and most people listening to your channel, Darren, know that, which is why they probably stopped watching it. I mean, who watches uh -huh. the BBC these days? It's nonsense. Uh, it's rubbish. Uh, uh, but, of course, it's funded by Deep State, isn't it? It's funded by the government. Don't pay the BBC, you go to prison. So the whole damn thing is run by the uh, governments, Western governments. And we know it's uniparty. Uh, we know that there's no difference between Keir Starmer uh, and, and, and Rishi Sunak. We know that. There's no difference between Republicans and Democrats in North America. They all piss in the same pot. Mm -hmm. do, do you think there is a genuine determination for war with uh, adversaries like uh, uh, China and in particular Russia? Russia's the one that gets the mainstream attention, at least at the moment. Do you think people like to bias outward? Are, are serious and have been instructed to push the war narrative because it is coming to our shores in the coming years. Do you think that is going to be, you know, an eventuality? Or are well, they just talking so they can generate some funds and some cash and some profit uh, for their friends in the defense industry? Uh, well, I think they talk, they talk their book. Uh, it would be difficult to believe that there isn't some financial reward for the Boris Johnsons and the Tobias Elwoods of this world uh, in talking up the military book. Uh, and my uh, guest on my channel <clears throat> was uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, which I'm sure some of okay. your people will know, who say there's yeah. so many, uh, almost every congressman now is, is beholden to the industrial military complex, and of course funded by um, a lot of Israeli money and Israeli influence in Congress. So we're not getting or the ordinary man, or what we would call the man on the Clapham omnibus, or the, the Americans would call Joe Sixpack, aren't getting the truth. But they're beginning to find out now how it works. But this talk about warfare with Russia, we, we armed uh, the Ukrainian army, which is 500,000 strong at the very beginning, with the latest NATO kit, NATO training, limitless money, and they lost. They've lost. I mean, the war's now virtually over. So talking about a war with Russia is absurd because we couldn't conceivably win. Uh, they've got so much more sophisticated stuff. Their stuff works. Our stuff is more expensive, but it doesn't work. And if you look at a map and see how, how a war with China, there's billions of the buggers. <laughs> you know, how would we? How what would we do? How would we go about that? Uh, I mean, I've never heard of anything so ridiculous. Now, what we've done in the past is had nice, tidy little wars with people who can't fight back. Uh, they're mm -hmm. right that they've got pointed sticks and all the rest of it, and they're sort of little. But now even the Houthis in the Yemen are sinking stuff. They've got missiles and stuff now. So the days of, you know, beating up the small boy in the yard and looking good have gone. Uh, so I don't quite know what's going to happen. But I think they're going to find that war is, we can't go to war, we've got no army. We've got a ridiculous navy with, with, a, with a, 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 an aircraft carrier which has been withdrawn and going somewhere safer because you could sink aircraft carriers in two minutes with fairly modest kit or modest electric submarines. They were all right at Okinawa, uh, but I mean, they, they've, been, they've been an anachronism, Darren, for years, aircraft carriers. Ridiculous great things, which will be sunk in less than a week in the South China Sea if we went to war with, with, with China. Uh, and people who know, people who take an interest in things, know these things, but of course our politicians don't. Because in the main, 99% of our politicians are incredibly stupid or corrupt.
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm, a, I'm an ex-Navy man myself, not a sailor, but I worked in the Devonport Royal Dockyard for 15 years on our surface fleet platform and our nuclear subs. Uh, and I was all, you know, my, my family and Navy, my dad's dad's dad, dad, and so on were all Navy. And so, like I said earlier, it absolutely breaks my heart uh, to see the state of the British military um, forces. Uh, and a quick question before we go to a break. How could we have got it so wrong about Russia? Because the, the, the information the public's been fed for decades is that they are a bunch of backward commies. Uh, they have to queue for bread. Uh, they live in poverty. Uh, they eat sauerkraut on board their ship. True story. Uh, I have tried some. It wasn't very nice back in the 90s. Uh, I'm not sure what it's like now. And yeah, actually, uh, in terms of a military force, they are far superior, it appears, than the entire combination of NATO forces. How did we get that so wrong? Or were you just being deliberately uh, lied to? Well, I think the problem that you have, uh, and I did uh, years ago at uh, the Russian Studies course at Sandhurst, as a, uh, I won't bore anybody with the details of that. But of course, what people can't accept in the West, in America, uh, and the Western, is that Russia uh, is no longer the Soviet Union. Uh, and when Putin came to power, uh, the Soviet Union had collapsed, and he rejigged the economy. He got rid of the oligarchs. Uh, he got rid of a lot of the corruption. Uh, and people simply haven't really realized that the Russian Federation is not what it was. Uh, it's a massive country with lots and lots of people uh, and with resources um, to die for. I mean, the, the resources in Russia are huge. And, of course, their industrial complex is capable now of turning out somewhere in the region of 30 times as many missiles, guns, bullets, and 155 millimeter uh, ammunition uh, than the United States. They've got it really, really wrong because they haven't moved on. They've been thinking 25 years ago. Uh, and of course, it's the same with the hardware, uh, with the Royal Navy in particular. This is typical of the Royal Navy historically, I'm afraid, fighting the last war. You know, the senior naval officers uh, are always fighting World War Two. So they think, oh, we need aircraft carriers. We need cruisers. We need to do this, that, and the other. No, no, that was very good stuff. 100 years ago or 50 or 60 years ago that isn't what you need now drones you need drones ship to shore drones uh submarines of course are still a very very important piece of kit um and they work uh, but aircraft carriers absolutely ludicrous they go to the bottom with two thousand men on it in uh, in no time at all uh, and i've got i've got to say i'm 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 quite surprised that Hezbollah or the Houthis or even Hamas hasn't taken a pot shot at the US aircraft carrier. Uh, it's the Dwight D. Eisenhower, the oldest of all the US aircraft carriers in operation that sat in the uh, Med or the Red Sea or wherever it is in that region. I'm surprised that that hasn't been attacked and maybe targeted for to send down to Davies Locker, uh, Godfrey. Uh, we're gonna go to a quick break right now. And then when we come back, uh, we're gonna carry on talking talking about our politicians. I want to know your opinion on the Wellingborough, uh, in particular the Wellingborough by-election. Uh, but there was another one as well in Kingswood in which the Conservatives suffered very, very badly. So please stay right where us here on TNT Radio. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears, eyes. Would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. 
because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Fresh off her court victory worth over $83 million over Donald Trump, of course, columnist E. Jean Carroll appeared on The Rachel Maddow Show and expressed her euphoria by making this offer to Maddow. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas (laughs) for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely (laughs) new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing in France? No? Oh, all right, all right, okay. That's a joke. (laughs) I'm sorry, is it just me? Or does Carol's offer to Maddow seem to cheapen? and delegitimize all she says she stands for. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. D.D. Denslow is digging deeper on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome back to TNT Radio. You're here with me, D.D. Denslow, uh, for the final 12 minutes of a very eventful Sunday edition of Digging Deeper. I'm here with uh, Godfrey Bloom, Goddard himself, who's been giving us some excellent commentary on the state of NATO and the position of UK in terms of fighting a war with Russia. But bringing the politics a little bit back home, a little bit more uh, on a level keel, uh, we've had the Wellingborough by-election and the Kingswood by-election in the last week. Uh, Labour won both. Uh, the vote share for Labour in the Wellingborough by-election was 45%. Uh, it was a similar vote share in the Kingsworth election, but both of those elections only had a turnout of about 37 to 38%. This would be very indicative of what could happen on the May 2nd election, general election here in the UK. The Conservatives look like they're going to get absolutely wiped out. Reform are picking up some of those right-leaning votes, but most Conservative voters aren't actually going out to the ballot box. What do you make of these uh, by-election results, Godfrey, and how do you think it's going to transpose into the future uh, for the general election here in the UK in 2024? Well, I have actually said before, um, there is no point in voting, is there, to be brutally frank? Um, Does it matter if it's Keir Starmer or Rishi Sunak? I mean, they're all completely and utterly hopeless. They all stand for the same things. They're all incredibly woke. They're all net zero greeny greenies. They're all for as much immigration as they can pump into the country. They want lots and lots of public spending, lots and lots of civil servants. There is no difference now between the Conservative Party and Labour Party. There's simply no difference. So the reason that you're now getting down to 37%, which is a disastrously low uh, uh, turnout, I think that will be probably true of the general election because people will say why and when i was campaigning for brexit darren uh, some years ago so many people said to me i'm going to vote this time because my vote counts 
you know, it's a referendum. Uh, and so if I vote, it will be counted. Well, when I go to the pub and stuff and speak to people, say, what's the point now? It doesn't make any difference if I vote because I'm still going to get the same kind of people. And I think that's the problems and the Conservative Party have brought it on themselves, haven't they? Uh, I mean, you could you could argue, Godfrey, that uh, the Brexit, my Brexit vote didn't count. I know Brexit was uh, on paper delivered, uh, or at least from the mouth of Boris Johnson, oh, I've delivered Brexit. Uh, but it hasn't really been delivered. We've never seen any of the benefits of Brexit. Uh, within a month of Brexit finally uh, being signed on the dotted line, we had the COVID pandemic. I do wonder, as a conspiracy theorist, whether that was some sort of punishment. Um, what what can we do as an alternative to voting on May the 2nd to uh, send a message other than not turning up to our government? Well, it is extremely difficult, uh, and I do sympathise with people who have been disenfranchised, which, is, of course, is round about 70% or 60% of the entire electorate. Uh, you're quite right about Brexit, but uh, the, the problem we have uh, is... Uh, if the electorate is a train and we're all on the train uh, and everybody on the train wants to go to um, Scarborough, if the driver and the signalman want to go to Manchester, it doesn't matter how many people on the train want to go to Scarborough, you're going to end up in Manchester. And of course, uh -huh. the entire civil service wanted to remain Parliament wanted to remain, the House of Lords wanted to remain, so consequently when we got Brexit, we didn't really get Brexit because the people who had the levers of power didn't want it. So we haven't rescinded any EU legislation. We're still paying them billions of pounds for one reason or another every year. Uh, we're their biggest customer, the European Union. We're a massive customer. We should be calling the shots, but we're always cap in the hand. Uh, it's very, very difficult. Who do you vote for? Well, there was room for another political party, wasn't there? But then, of course, it looked like it might possibly be reform. Uh, and then you've got an idiot like Tice running it who pops up instead of at a by-election where he should have been in Clacton in the Ukraine, looking like a crazed lunatic, if you saw that picture of him. He was yeah. pushing the jabs. He was a great jab salesman. Um, uh, he was getting together with Hancock, suggesting that we ought to lock people up if they didn't have the jab. Uh, he's he's wishy-washy on the Dover problem, the illegal immigration problem, uh, which, of course, as you and I both know, um, I could stop tomorrow morning because I could mobilize the Royal Navy and the Royal Marines and just tow them back. So all this hand-wringing of business, oh, what can you do, is absolute nonsense. And I would certainly vote for the first political party that would say we'll mobilize the Royal Navy and we will tow them back. And for those who are here in four-star hotels, we will also put them on a bloody great ship and take them back from wherever they came, which is most of it, mostly is, is Africa, the whole of Africa, uh, and parts uh -huh. of the Middle East. That's what we need. It's nothing to do with racism or anti-racist. We, we are on a little tiny island, desperately crowded, uh, desperately in debt. Uh, our schools are under pressure. We've got potholes. The national health has virtually collapsed. We cannot accept all these people. They have to go back. I haven't heard anybody saying that. And I think if anybody did come up and say that, they would get elected. But at the moment, nobody's saying it. So who do you vote for? I thought it might be reform. Very sad. Not them at all. They're really sort of the Conservative Party, a, a wing of the Conservative Party, by the look of it.
Yeah, uh, um, controlled opposition would be the the, the phrase that yeah. many people are listening right now. And that's exactly what I think of both uh, Farage, I'm a little bit wishy-washy on, but Tice almost certainly. But there does seem to be a lot of support for reform. They have increased their vote share to about 10, 12, 13%. Whether that will be enough to make any impact on the general election, I don't know. But there is another party who is actually calling for the deportation of all the illegal immigrants living it up in four-star hotels here in the UK uh, and uh, uh, putting the Navy into the English Channel to protect our borders. It's probably a party quite close to your heart, I think, uh, Godfrey, and that's UKIP. Um, do you believe that any outside parties like UKIP, the Heritage Party, uh, maybe Reform, have any chance of coming through in this general election? Only if they get together. Um... And I think they could do quite well, but that's extremely difficult. You've got David Curtin at Heritage, an extremely good man. Uh, you've got UKIP with some extremely good politics, but they're a little bit uh, fractured, uh, and they have been since, of course, uh, Nigel destroyed the party by bad-mouthing it after it left, quite deliberately, and forming another party, the Brexit Party. So UKIP um, is, 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 is suffering, and I think perhaps if we had a new party, call it what you will, and all those people got together, all the UKIP people, the Heritage Party, the Libertarian, and the Reform people, uh, uh, with the exception of Tice, if all they got together, you know, there would be, you know, a united front. But it's not looking like that at the moment, is it? No. Uh, and, you know, that's often been the call from conservative and right-leaning members of the public. who, uh, And that actually is probably the vast majority of people, conservative voters and everybody who doesn't vote, um, they would form a massive voting block. It's just that they've got no one to vote for and none of these smaller right-leaning uh, conservative parties who are standing against some of these woke issues, whether it's immigration or transgenderism or climate change, um, they none of them really want to come together. Do you think that's because of ego? Do you think that individually their egos are too big and that's preventing them from working together? Uh, that is my wife's view. Uh, and, I, and I have to say that she, I think she's probably right. Uh, yes, uh, and of course, uh, uh, it's all about ego. Uh, all politics is about ego, certainly up the slippery pole, as it were. Um, it's about ego. And plus, of course, the fact that in order to get to the top of your party, you have to be a sociopath. Uh, there is nobody uh, that I know, uh, certainly of cabinet rank, for example, at the moment, who is not a preclinical sociopath. Uh, and of course, when you come to the Boris Johnsons of this world, who could sacrifice two or two or three hundred thousand young Ukrainians, um, you know, to, in order to impress the neocons in Washington, you're dealing with psychopaths who should be in prison. Um, mm -hmm. But who'd go into politics? I mean, I went into politics for, for Brexit. No other reason. I was a businessman a professional man, uh, and I wanted Brexit, and, and, and an opportunity came, and I did, but, but I didn't want to go into politics, party politics per se, you know, party politics, it's disgusting. The people you meet in the main, in the main in politics, are ill-informed, very stupid, and very dishonest. That is 99% of your politicians, and I don't care who you interview, Darren, that's what they'll be. 
Are, are they selective for those reasons, though? And I use the word selective deliberately. Uh, are they? Are, are our politicians in the positions that they are because they are the lowest common denominators? They are incredibly obedient. Some a, a trait that I fear the most in Keir Starmer. He's very, very obedient, and probably will listen to his trilateral masters. Uh, do we have the lowest common denominators in positions of power, Godfrey? coming to the end now. Yes, we do. And of course, they're all beholden to the World Economic Forum, which is where they get their instructions from, which is why they're all the same. So we have a prime minister who's WEF and ex-Goldman Sachs, a chancellor, uh, and all the other levers of power. So we have the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, King Charles III, are all devotees and agents of the WEF. Uh, so consequently, it's very difficult to get out, but maybe continental farmers will save us. Who knows? It could be the farmers, a peasant's revolt. Uh, Godfrey, I know we've had exactly. a few problems with the sound, but it's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks ever so much for your time today, uh, this Sunday. I hope you have a good day. And to everybody who's been listening, thanks for persevering. You know that you get the truth here on TNT Radio, and I will be back next week with some more fantastic guests. Thank you very much. Stay with us on TNT Radio.